Welcome to Out of Left Field with Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. For the next hour, it's all college football. And it's brought to you by Farm Bureau, Go With the Home Team, Country Police and Sausage, and Cannon Ford of Starkville. Nobody beats a cannon deal. Nobody. And now, here are your hosts, Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. And welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield, getting you ready for the Georgia Bulldogs this week. Mississippi State and Georgia. Got a good show for you this week. We talked to Buck Ballou. We'll talk to him, the former quarterback at the University of Georgia. Right now he's a host on 680 The Fan over in Atlanta, the Buck and Hut Show. We'll talk to him. Scott Foxhall will join us to talk about Bulldog pitchers in the fall. But, Charlie, first and foremost, we had an off week this past week. It wasn't on the schedule when we started the season, but we we had an off week, and right now all signs are pointing toward us playing football Saturday night over in Athens. Yeah, it certainly appears that way, although there is nobody in college football right now that can say on any day earlier than Saturday that they are absolutely certain they're going to play in a couple of days. It's just one of the most unpredictable times in many, many ways that we've ever seen. And we saw yesterday, once again, State having another player opt out as you know, Nathan Pickering, starting defensive tackle, has opted out for the season. And so, Charlie, that puts the numbers pretty close when you start talking about being able to play games and from a scholarship player standpoint. What's, what's your take? What's your thought? Because State's had a lot of players who have opted out or hit the transfer portal here this season. I think you first have to draw a distinction between the two. There is a big difference in hitting the transfer portal and then opting out. And I think it's really dangerous, particularly on the guys who are opting out, to reach any conclusions as to why. There's a lot of things that go into that. Health of themselves, health of family members. So many different things can go into opt-outs that you hate to make too many judgments about their commitment to the school or to football or anything else. Although I know it's fashionable to do so, I think it's one of those you just kind of got to wait and see because some of these guys opting out are making it clear that they don't have anything against Mississippi State and they're not looking to transfer. Now, once you get into the transfers, you've got a couple of different issues there. Some guys just aren't playing and didn't like it. And some, you know, I guess you could say both sides will probably benefit from them moving on. And Mike Lee talked about that, you know, early in the season, and that's and you see that everywhere. You you see that in a lot of situations where the first year head coach, and we've talked at nauseum about this, about sometimes you're just going to have turnover, and a lot of the turnover that you have, especially from the transfer portal, happens usually every spring. So now you've got four games left. Right here now in the stretch run, you play Georgia, then Ole Miss next week, and then two games after the Egg Bowl with Auburn and then Missouri. So, But going forward, first step first, going to Georgia this week, you know, this is only, you know, Mississippi State and Georgia do not play each other much at all. I was looking in the last 25 years, Georgia has been to Starkville just three times, just three times. And so, man, I'll tell you what, I – I hate to call out the league and say anything negative about the SEC, but I just wish there was a better way that you could get into a rotation with teams on the eastern side. I kind of missed not going to Knoxville last year. I miss not going to Georgia this year. 
Because to be honest with you, Charlie, I may be collecting Social Security the next time we go to either one of those places. Well, you see it a little differently than me. If I want to go watch Georgia play football, was Sanford Stadium, I can do that on an open week. All things being equal, I'd much rather have Kentucky or Vanderbilt on my <laughs> schedule than to have to face the excitement of Neyland Stadium or play between the hedges. Well, no doubt. Hey, here's one of the things I wanted to look at. You know, Brian Ogden does a great job with Mississippi State Media Relations. He, he puts this thing out on Mondays when he talks about state players from state to the Sundays, and he gives a look at how players are playing in the NFL right now. And, Charlie, this is one of the things we haven't talked about. It's kind of gone under the radar. When you start turning on NFL games on Sundays, it's amazing the number and the high-level talent that Mississippi State has every Sunday when the NFL hits the TV. It is, and boy, wouldn't you give a lot to have some of these guys back on the roster. You look at a Jonathan Abram, but look at the guys who are doing a nice job blocking as well. You've had uh, really good performances by Elton Jenkins, Gabe Jackson. Well, how much would your team be different if you had those guys blocking up front? Hey, that's interesting. You know, we talked last week about, uh, you know, guys, junior college guys you'd like to have back on this year's team. Who would you pick? Who would you pick if you could pick any NFL guy? Does it have to be right now, or would it just be overall NFL guy ever? And he can't say Dak. Of course, if it was overall NFL guy ever, I would choose Eric Moulds. Yeah, it'd be tough to bet against that one, wouldn't it? Yeah, but, man. You know, man, it, it just pains me because I was talking to some college students the other day, and I was talking about Eric Moulds in my mind like it happened just yesterday, thinking about that catch that he made against Alabama where it looks like he's six feet in the air. George Teague. And DeShay Townsend. Yeah, and I talk about Eric Moulds, and they're like, yeah, I've heard of him. <laughs> I'm like, we heard of him. He was the last guy we had drafted as a receiver. He was phenomenal. Yeah, boy, you would love to have him back right now. If it's a guy currently playing, I think, obviously, you look at the problems we have and you'd love to have a lineman back. But you know what else I would like? I'd like just a little bit of attitude on my team. I'd like a guy who just, you know, when you run into him, it's going to be a long afternoon, and that's a pretty easy call of who I'm going with there, isn't it? Fletcher Cox. <laughs> well, it would be a pretty good one, but I want the safety from Oakland. I mean, Jonathan Abram. Really? Look, anybody gets thrown out of his own spring game for being too dirty, that's the guy we need right now. No, we stopped the spring game. We didn't <laughs> quit didn't, the game because we, of him. We didn't, kick, we, didn't, we didn't kick him out of the spring game. <laughs> we stopped the spring game because Jonathan Abram. How could you not go against Fletcher Cox? No, I mean, it would be tough, too. Jeffrey Simmons. Yeah, I mean. do all kinds of things, but. You know, Jeffrey Simmons is a good guy. Fletcher Cox is a good guy. And I'm sure Jonathan Abram is a good guy, but he doesn't play like one. Chris Jones? I mean, you talk about three guys who are bona fide stars on the defensive front. Pernell McPhee? There's a junior college guy. Did we even talk about Pernell last week? No, and Danico Autry still playing? Goodness. Well, anyway, good show for you this week. We're going to talk to Buck Ballou. Man, Buck Ballou is an old name. I mean, a name that, you know, I hate to call him old. But he's a name that, you know, when you were coming up and, and Georgia was having that success in the late 1970s, early 80s, Buck Ballou was a big part of that. Of course, the quarterback of Georgia's last national championship team. Hosts a radio show every day, and he has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to Georgia football. And so we'll get his take on this year's Georgia team and what Mississippi State is going against this Saturday night. So we'll, when we come back, we'll talk to Buck Ballou. Of course, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. 
go with the home team, Farm Bureau. They have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. So go by and see one of those agents or go online to favorites.com and get the best rates but also the best service in the insurance industry. Back with a word from Buck Ballou right after this. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. Time now for our guest line segment, brought to you each week by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage, Country Pleasing. Go by and check out your local grocer. Get the original, the jalapeno cheddar, just anything. It's all really good. So, anyway, we've been getting these t- uh, tweets and texts each and every week from all you guys that are enjoying the country pleasing for the first time. And, well, Henry Cooper and the gang down at Country Meat Packers in Florence just do a phenomenal job putting out an outstanding product. So, it's time for our guest line segment brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. And let's go to the phones where Buck Ballou, former Georgia quarterback, was a quarterback on the 1980 Georgia National Championship team and host now of the Buck and Hutt Show from 1 to 3 every day on 680 The Fan in Atlanta. Buck, you know, I was looking back. Before we jump into Georgia football, uh, before we talk about the 40-year reunion of the National Championship, before we talk about this year's team, let's talk about the Valdosta Wildcats. Uh, you were the quarterback in the late 1970s at Valdosta High School. Then what John Lastinger followed you at Valdosta, then as the starting quarterback at Georgia. And then there was a guy who was kind of flamboyant, long-haired, by the name of John Bond, who came over to Mississippi State and ran the option for Emory Ballard. Here's the uh, here's the thing. There's three straight quarterbacks out of Valdosta High School, all going to Power 5 schools. Here's what I ask you. Don't tell JB that we talked to you first because his feelings will get hurt because we talked to Buck Ballou before John Bond. Well, Coach Bond is a, a lifelong friend. I'll never forget him moving into my neighborhood. As his uh, dad came and, and took a job at Valdosta State College, and uh, you know we became close friends and uh, grew up uh, both Lastinger and Bond and myself uh, playing in the same youth leagues: uh, basketball, football, baseball, and uh, obviously we're teammates at Valdosta High School. And those guys, those two guys, were so talented. They they could play another position until that opportunity came up at quarterback. So once I left, uh, Lastinger stepped in, and, and Bond was a receiver, and then Lastinger left, and and then JB took over at quarterback. And we've been lifelong friends. I love both those guys, and and really cherish the friendship that we have to this day. At Mississippi State, we think back to 1980, and we think back to a big six to three win over Alabama where John Bond quarterbacked us to the win, 1980. And it's crazy that it's been 40 years. But, you know, as a kid, I just remember listening to all those clips, Larry Munson, you know, run, Lindsey, run, obviously one of the biggest plays in college football history. 1980, you guys win the national championship. You have the 93-yard touchdown pass. How special is it now on that 40th anniversary, looking back at that big win over Florida and that ultimate national championship? Well, you know, people like to pick on us a little bit and say that's the last national title we've had at Georgia. And, you know, I'm certainly not living that every single day. But, you know, 40 years uh, is special. You know, we've had a chance to uh, talk to a lot of the teammates uh, this year as we celebrate that 40 years. And, 
you know, it just brings back a lot of great memories. Uh, that, that whole season uh, was just so memorable. And, you know, we had, uh, you know, JB over there at Mississippi State doing his thing and taking down Alabama, which always helps. It seems like they were winning it every year at that point in time. And, you know, John Lastinger took over and, and a couple of years later led Georgia to the Sugar Bowl with a shot at the national title against Penn State. So, yeah, it's uh, – it was great to have uh, Skin come up and join me at Georgia. And, you know, it's just uh, so meaningful to have guys you grew up with that are on these big campuses you see in the SEC, all these people. I, yeah, I'm a small-town guy, so it's great to see Lastinger come and join us. And, you know, JB was looking for that quarterback opportunity and got it at Mississippi State. And I just, you know, we supported each other along the way. And, you know, I, I got over there and saw an Egg Bowl one time here in uh, Mississippi State and JB on over there. So, uh, you know, those friendships last a lifetime. There's no doubt about it. Talking to Buck Ballou, former quarterback at the University of Georgia, now the host of the Buck and Hutch Show in Atlanta on 680 The Fan. Before we get into it, we're talking about some of these guys you play with. It's amazing. When I look at, at high school football, you start talking about specimens in the South. I'm talking about physical specimens. And they all came through close to the same time. I think of Mississippi, I think of a guy like Marcus Dupree, who, of course, got injured and really didn't see what he what he was capable of. In the state of Alabama, you think of a guy like Bo Jackson. And then in the state of Georgia, you think of a guy like Herschel Walker. I mean, you had a front-row seat to see Herschel Walker. And it was just amazing to see the talent. So many people say, hey, Herschel Walker led Georgia to that 1980 national championship team. But, I mean, you guys had a lot of other parts. But looking back now, did, did you have any idea when Herschel walked on the campus at Georgia that he was going to be the superstar that he became? Well, we worked hard to get him up there. And I made a couple of trips down to Wrightsville when he was in high school to try to help him make a decision, really just giving him an opportunity to ask about Georgia and uh, any questions that I could answer, I, I wanted to be there for him. But, yeah, we knew he was special. There's no doubt about it. And at the time, we had just moved uh, to the I formation. And in that I formation, you gotta have a you got to have a big-time running back to carry the load back then. And, you know, he was – he really completed the team. We uh, – you know, I felt like uh, coming into that 80 season that we had uh, talent in all the right places and really the missing piece was at running back. And, you know, Herschel just turned out to be uh, more special than we ever imagined. I mean, I think we all understood the athletic ability that he had. How could you not? You'd have to be blind not to see that. But what we found out was he was one of the hardest workers on the team. He was an unselfish guy. And I tell you, when your best player is unselfish, and a hard worker and a team guy, then you've really got a chance to do something special. And I think he capped it off to me. It was the greatest performance I've ever seen on the football field was in that national championship game against Notre Dame in the Sugar Bowl. Herschel separated his shoulder on the second play offensively on our second play and left the field. Uh, they snapped it back into place. He came back. He ran it 36 times for 150 yards against a defense that best in college football that year they had not allowed a hundred yard rusher until that day and and Herschel played hurt and uh, just ran right through those guys uh, greatest performance I've ever been a part of looking at this year's Georgia team if we'd have gone back a year in time 
at least as a, a fan t- two states removed. I don't think I would have ever predicted that Stetson Bennett would be the quarterback at Georgia, but he's you know started five of the six games that you guys have played. Where do you see the quarterback play overall for Georgia this season? Well, you know, Stetson during the preseason camp was fifth on the depth chart. So he at one point in time walked in and asked, you know, Coach Monken and Coach Smart, you know, when he was going to get an opportunity to get some reps. And, and uh, you know, then, you know, a couple of weeks later, he's, he's the starting quarterback. And, uh, you know, I, I really don't know what happened to Jamie Newman. Uh, just uh, I think there are a lot of unanswered questions as far as that. I mean, he he had committed and came and was working out when, when the COVID thing hit. And, uh, just elected to opt out. So there's some unanswered questions with him about that. I think they were really sort of uh, looking at him as he was going to be the starter. And then, you know, Kirby went out and got JT Daniels out of USC and brought him in. And he's had a knee uh, rehab that, that must have run a little long there. Uh, you know, going into the season, I just felt like looking at video of all the guys that JT Daniels was the uh, most polished passer of the whole group. But I think the knee and the rehab there and the mobility or lack thereof sort of held him back. And we may or may not see him against State in this game. But uh, Stetson, I tell you, I got a lot of respect for Stetson. Stepped in in a tough spot and uh, has done a a really solid job. Uh, You know, they they just – the quarterback spot, uh, they've missed a lot of opportunities in the passing game. I was researching this earlier this week in Georgia. Right now, uh, the passing game, I mean, they're looking at like number 63 in the country throwing the football, which is really hard to believe. And they've missed some open receivers deep and missed some uh, opportunities that really hurt against Alabama and Florida, uh, which resulted in, in two losses there. So it is, uh, you know, it's it's been a disappointment for the most part at quarterback and uh, just hoping they could somehow can uh, find some answers and pick it up toward the end of the year here because they, that passing game, they need to get that on track. You know, the whole thing coming into the uh, in the offseason was the hiring of Todd Monken as the offensive coordinator, and I think all this Bulldog nation got excited about thinking, uh, okay, the air raid's coming to Georgia. We're going to throw it around 50 times a game, and uh, that, that really hadn't materialized. Uh, it's been really tough with the lack of a spring football practice to install and teach the new schemes. So that, that has held him back a little bit here so far this year. Uh, it's been a disappointment looking at the passing game. Talk about Buck Ballou, and, and Buck is very interesting when you say that. And then, of course, we have the situation with Mike Leach coming in and the air raid coming to start. Well, you know, we did see a glimpse of it, though, with LSU. <laughs> you know, when you throw for over 600 yards in the first game, and I think that really built out a, a false you know, sense of hope for Mississippi State fans. And, you know, then you look at the question of, you know, K.J. Costello or Will Rogers. We're really not sure about who you guys will see in the Saturday game. There is a lot of smoke about J.T. Daniels may be getting his first opportunity this week as well. But when you look at the the psyche of Georgia, you know, since Kirby came over there as the head coach, uh, they've really had Florida's number. 
They end up in the rotation with Alabama this year, coming off a loss to Florida. Then they didn't get to play via COVID. Now, coming into this game, what's what's kind of the mindset in Athens with Georgia? Because right now, they're used to playing for the SEC East Championship right now. And right now, unless Florida skip, you know, trips up a little bit, you know, they're, they're kind of the odd man out. Yeah, that's pretty much a pride thing at this point in time, playing out the rest of the year. I mean, this is a team that was supposed to contend for a playoff spot, contend for the SEC title, and, you know, unless just something crazy happens, uh, you know, that's obviously not going to go down that way. So there's a lot of disappointment in the Bulldog Nation. Uh, you know, you, you talk about the, the COVID and the quarterbacks, and there's been some injuries that have hurt. You know, at this point in time, it just sounds like a bunch of excuses, really. And I don't think the fan base or, uh, you know, the players or the coaching staff want to be throwing out excuses at this point in time. But played Alabama tough uh, for the first half, and things got away from them in the second. And then against Florida, just uh, not able to hit those big plays I spoke about earlier in the passing game that were there. And uh, just not able to get to Trask. Uh, I think they had one sack in the game, something like that. Seemed to... uh, not be able to get that pass rush they needed against the Gators. But uh, this offense they have right now, I, you know, everybody's kidding around. We're finally going to get to see the air raid with Coach Leach bringing, bringing the uh, uh, Hale State into town. But, uh, you know, they're really built to run the football. Sam Pittman had done a great job recruiting these offensive linemen. And I know they lost a couple to the NFL, two or three guys to the NFL, and had to replace them. But Really some talented young players that were behind those guys. And this offensive line's built to run the football. Uh, Jamari Sawyer at left tackle's done a wonderful job on the interior. Got some big physical offensive guards that can knock people off the ball. Warren McClendon has stepped in at right tackle and, and done an outstanding job. Uh, Zamir White and James Cook and McIntosh and Milton. Really a stable full of running backs. Uh, should allow them to each week to go out and feel good about being able to run the football. Receiver's been a different story. George Pickens, one of the most talented players on the team, has been banged up. And I think he was more, he had more uh, stats in the Sugar Bowl against Baylor than he has this entire season. Uh, Kiaris Jackson has stepped up and, and played well at receiver. They've had a freshman, uh, Burton has stepped in and had to play a lot. But the receiving core for the second straight year has been a disappointment. But before we let you go, I'm curious, one of the big discussions on sports radio over our way is whether this was kind of unfair timing with the decision that South Carolina made to part ways with Will Muschamp, a guy that just about every school can claim some connection to in the SEC. What's the mood of, of callers and kind of the radio in your place as to whether this was a, a fair timing and a fair time to make the change at South Carolina? Well, I think most of the callers are wishing they had a buyout like Will had <laughs> over there at South Carolina. You know, we'd all feel a little bit better about things. That's but, what I told somebody. Yeah. I don't want to be hired as an SEC coach. I want to be fired as one. <laughs> exactly. And I got a lot of respect for Will Muschamp and, the kind of man he is, and now a little disappointed for him and the way things worked out. Uh, he knew coming into the year, it was you know a year where they needed to do something special to hang on to that job. But he'll he'll resurface. He's a football guy, and you know I wouldn't be surprised if Co- Coach O was calling him right now, uh, trying to get him back down to LSU. I think we'll see him resurface 
as a defensive coordinator here sometime very soon. But, you know, uh, South Carolina, it's, it's a tough gig, man. You got Clemson rocking and rolling right now. Uh, you know, that state not exactly full of top-rated prospects, which makes it a little tougher. But I tell you, the facilities are as good as it gets in the SEC. So whoever gets that job may or may not be Hugh Freeze, as I understand. It looks like he's the top candidate right now. But uh, that'll, that'll be a good job for somebody, there's no doubt. And keep an eye on Mike Bobo, too who came over and joined the staff as the offensive coordinator and takes over as the interim coach. And, you know, he's another one of these ball coaches that uh, will resurface if he doesn't end up getting that head coaching job at Carolina, will end up being an offensive coordinator in the SEC here sometime soon and also. Buck, we appreciate you joining us. Take it easy on us, guys. (laughs) We'll try our best to. Hey, always good to talk with you. Thanks so much. And that's former Georgia quarterback Buck Ballou. You can hear him every day on 680 The Fan in Atlanta. Well, i tell you what, one of the all-time great names in college football, Buck Ballou. And this conversation has been brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing, go by and check them out on Highway 49 in Florence at Country Meat Packers. You can get anything you want in the storefront down there. And so, once again, our thanks to Buck Ballou giving us insights on the Georgia Bulldogs this weekend. Back with more on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. It's time now for... Another guest line segment, this time brought to you by our friends at Cannon Ford of Starkville. Cannon Ford, if you're in the market for a new or used car, need some work in the body shop, or just a car being serviced in any way, go where they have great customer service, and they do it right. And that's at Cannon Ford of Starkville. And it's time now for another guest line segment brought to you by Cannon Ford. And let's go to the phones where the pitching coach for Mississippi State, Scott Foxhall, joins us after fall practice has finally concluded. And, Coach, I mean, looking back and, you know, when you, when you start talking about, you know, pitching and looking through the summer, I, I kind of think sometimes, you know, pitching is a lot like golfers and you have to pitch. Sometimes you have to play as a golfer. This is the first time that I can ever recall where a lot of these guys come back and all of a sudden they're on completely – you have five months of rest, and they haven't pitched in the summer. How has that affected not having summer ball? How has that affected the fall at all, if it has? Well, it was a little scary not being with them for that those many months. And so we were anxious in the fall to, to get them back and to uh, get them uh, on a routine and make sure we did it safely for their arms. Um, but at the same time, we, we had to do a good job of evaluating this fall. So it was um, – it was a um, task that we spent a lot of time thinking about, and, and I think we executed it um, very well this fall and, and were able to, to do all those things. We didn't have any injuries, so thankful for that and knock on wood for that. Um, didn't have any, any major um, arm issues this fall, and um, I think we were able to get everybody out there uh, about six or eight times each, um, which uh, is, is about all you can ask for out of a fall to, to try to evaluate and see where everybody is um, and try to put together the staff for the 2021 season. As you do that, and Bart mentions these guys being out of the game for the summer, 
did it change the way you evaluate pitchers? Does it make you want to look more at stuff and less at command? Or did it change in any way how you evaluate their performance in the fall? Well, we, we want to make the right decisions uh, going forward uh, for, you know, and, and our decisions are based off lots of things. Number one, we have to win for Mississippi State. That's that's our number one thing. And, and um, we have to win right now for Mississippi State. We want um, We want that for our fans. So we're, we're trying to see who, who are the best pitchers um, and, and who gives us the best chance to win right now. But um, at the same time, we have um, guys that uh, we have to develop for the future, and we have guys that are legitimate professional prospects right now, and we try to roll all of those goals up in, into, uh, into one evaluation and, and, and try to do what's best for, for all of those things. But those are kind of the priorities win right now, um, develop for the future, and then help our guys reach their individual goals. So those were those were all the things. I don't know if it changed how we did things, Charlie, but um, I will say that uh, I felt like we were evaluating more this fall than teaching this fall. And sometimes the fall is a teaching time. And, and you know, traditionally that's been the time where you, you have some. You're not competing in the games, and the wins and losses aren't as important in the fall. And the the good outings aren't as important as the fall in the fall. The development is, is the most important thing, but for us not having seen them and then having the numbers that we had, we really had to evaluate and, and try to figure out who can help us win right now, because that, that was best for the program. And really it was best for the individual to, to format it that way this fall. Talking with pitching coach, Scott Foxhall and, and coach, I guess to tag along with that, it, it probably makes it a lot easier from a teaching standpoint, when you've had guys in the program that understand your philosophy and, and understand what you're wanting out of them. And so you, you look at your starting role. You look at a Christian McLeod. You look at a Will Bednar and you know, Eric Sarantola. How did those guys, in your eyes, perform in the fall? Uh, they had, We had a mixed bag. We, uh, You know, now with, with those three that you mentioned – it's not as much about evaluation because we can we can draw on what they've done in the past and, and we kind of know what they're capable of doing in season. So with those guys, we, we did teach a little more and tried to, you know, with Will Bednar, we tried to develop a change up a little bit more. With um, with Christian McLeod, we really tried to, to just harness what he had done last spring and, and just tweak it a little bit because it was so good. Um, we just wanted to try to get that magic back. Um, with Eric, um, you know, we're constantly just trying to get his misses to be smaller and, and his strike percentage to keep going up on all his pitches. So with those guys, they had more specific goals because they weren't getting evaluated quite as much um, because I, I think they're going to be in the middle of the, the big innings for us just because of their, their track record. So it was a little different for those guys, but um, it certainly helped. Uh, them knowing what I expect and knowing our philosophies and, and our routines. And, and they were great leaders this fall um, for the rest of the guys. Um, they led by example this fall. And, and um, I was proud of all of them, how they worked and how they helped other people work this fall. It's interesting when you go back and look at baseball statistics and see the things that have changed with pitching over the years. I think you would say that strikeouts go up. And the other thing that has changed is the length of outings. You don't see as many complete games. And all of a sudden in baseball, all the way around, it seems like 
the sixth inning, the seventh inning, those guys that aren't closers, but those bridge guys become more and more important to success of a team. Where do you see, who do you see kind of emerging for us to be that guy to take the ball in the sixth or the seventh and try to get us to the backside? Well, we have, we have a lot of good options. Um, and that's what we're excited about is the depth of this pitching staff. Um, you know, we, we have, um, uh, I, I would say the returners that you, you feel good about, you, you have Riley Self who has the experience and, and has shown the ability to, to um, handle adversity and, and pitch in big spots. You have Jackson Forrester did it for us a little bit last year. Um, he's, he's got the analytical fastball swing and miss and uh, his slider's gotten better. We have some, some guys that didn't pitch a lot last year that really made jumps are um, Casey Hunt and Xavier Lovett. Uh, those guys, man, took the uh, off season by storm and they work and they're, they have more arm strength. Their stuff is better. They pitch well this fall. I think their candidates, we have Carlisle Kessler is, um, you know, spot started for us last year and, and did a very um, admirable job when JT went down, filling in on Friday night sometimes and filling in on the weekends. Um, he is one of those swing guys that we feel like can do the um, job of, of bridging um, games for us. Then, then you have Landon Sims, who's a little bit of a hybrid pitcher, um, can start, can close, can maybe be the bridge guy. And then some of the other newcomers uh, that, that we really felt good about this fall are freshman Jackson Fristo, who's a power-armed righty that has a really good slider. Cade Smith is a right-handed pitcher that has a three-pitch mix but throws in the low 90s with really good stuff. Um, Dylan Carmouche is a six-five lefty that uh, throws in the low nineties and, and has good off-speed. Uh, Stone Simmons is a transfer from Furman. He went. Um, he was their Friday night starter last year, um, and, and I think he'll throw some big innings for us. Parker Stanett is a junior college transfer that has really good stuff, and um, then I, I never. Um, want to forget about Brandon Smith, who has thrown big innings in this program in the past, and he's just coming back from from uh, surgery uh, last year, and and he started to look like himself towards the end of the fall. So I know that's a mouthful, but uh, we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of options. So we're excited about who emerges out of that group, and we feel like whoever does is going to be really good. Talking with Scott Foxhall, Mississippi State pitching coach. And out of that group, I mean, when you start trying to land on guys to close out games, is it someone that just emerges from the top from, from that group, or is it going to be one person? Is it going to be a close by committee? How do you come about trying to settle on who's going to close out games for you? Well, Spencer Price is going to start um, as the closer when the, when the season starts. And, and he's uh, he's been there, and, and he's the Wiley veteran, and, and he uh, – you know, those last three outs of the game are so different from the other 24. And the, just the ability to handle adrenaline, the ability to handle pressure, the ability to handle um, everything that goes with getting those last three outs. Spencer's done and done it well. Um, so he'll get he'll get a chance to, to do that role at the beginning. But any number of those guys that I mentioned before have the stuff to do it, um, to, to get the last three outs of the game. It's, uh, it's just – the intangible of being able to deal with, with everything at the end of the game um, is a little bit of an unknown with, with all the guys that I mentioned. Um, 
but it is a very known commodity with Spencer that he has it. And, and so he'll start out in that role. I, I should mention, you know, if I'm mentioning lots of people, Houston Hardy might have pitched the best for us this fall. Um, I know our fans will remember him as the, the lefty that I think maybe through the last game of the season or one of the last games of the season for us down in Biloxi last year. And, and he, he pitched really well. So he, he could be in the mix for the bridge role or, or a starter role, as well as um, Cam Tuller's a lefty transfer junior college guy that, that started a lot for us this fall and, and uh, four pitches for strikes. And he, he is certainly in the mix too. So I, I think you guys can tell you're probably frustrated. I'm saying so many <laughs> names, but um, you can imagine what we're trying to sort through in the fall. And, and it's, it, nobody's going to be, nobody's going to feel sorry for us that we have a lot of pitchers. That's, that's for sure. But it does come with some challenges and, and that the fact that, um, you know, making sure everybody gets enough time in front of the coaching staff, making sure that we're giving the right innings to the right guys and, and just uh, in general, keeping everybody happy, which, um, you know, we winning, being happy is a byproduct of winning, but it, it's, it contributes to it. If, if, if you got the right chemistry and, and the, the guys feel like they're being used the right way and they are happy, then sometimes it contributes to, to the winning part of it. Coach, before we let you go, we had a chance to visit with Jake Gotro and, got to kind of turn the tables and ask him to break down who he thought was kind of the tough matchup for his hitters among your pitchers. I'm curious from your standpoint, who are the guys, you know, just one or two guys at the plate who seem to be a tough out for your guys this fall? Well, Tanner Allen's at the top of the list. He's, you know, he, and he should be, he's, he's, I think he's one of the best hitters in the, in our league. And, and, uh, he demonstrated that again this fall that, that, uh, he can do damage and, um, I feel like he's probably at, at the top of that list. You have um, Luke Hancock is always a tough out for us. Um, I, I'm looking for Luke to have a breakout year. I think our fans have seen him do some really good things in spurts. But, man, in practice, he's been a rock of consistency at the plate. And um, he continues to have good at bad after good at bad up there. And, and uh even even if he doesn't do damage with the bat, he seems to walk or go deep in the counts, and um, he just had a really good fall. So those two left-handed hitters are, are probably at the the top of my list for a tough out. Um, you know, the scariest guy in the lineup is probably Cameron James. He had a really good fall too, and and he uh, if if you make a mistake to him or get behind in the count to him, then he can he can really do damage. So I'm looking for him to have a a really good offensive season for us as a sophomore. He's one of those guys that played as a freshman and, and, and you guys have seen it and y'all's experience played as a freshman and, and, you know, did, um, did yeoman's work. Did, I mean, he, he was, he was fine and serviceable as a freshman, but I think he could have a super sophomore year. So we're looking forward to that. Coach, we appreciate you joining us. We'll let you get back in the, Hey, good fall. I know it's, it's been a kind of a crazy time for you guys, but uh, finally getting the, the wraps put on it last week. But we appreciate you hanging out with us for the past little bit. Great to talk to y'all, Bart, Charlie. Y'all have a, a happy Thanksgiving. And that's Scott Foxall, pitching coach at Mississippi State. Boy, the Bulldogs have a wealth of pitching this year. It's amazing. We talked to Jake Gotro last week. That's one of the things he talked about was how the depth of the pitching staff, and you heard that from Scott Foxall just a moment ago. And this conversation has been brought to you by Cannon Ford of Starville. We'll come back with a final word right here on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. 
And welcome back. Final segment of Idle Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. But I tell you what, it's good to talk to Scott Foxhall. He gave a lot of insight to talk about wealth of pitching staff for Mississippi State. That, that's the thing. He talked about it, Charlie, about it, how you've got to keep everybody happy. That's going to be tough to do in the world of college baseball this year because everybody's going to have loaded teams and being able to give them playing time, innings pitched, at-bats, I tell you what, it's going to be tough for coaches. It's going to be rough. I used to argue that in basketball we were sometimes better when we had eight players who were any good because you could go with that eight-man rotation, and everybody kind of knew their spot. Everybody was happy. But all of a sudden you get 11, 12 who can play. It's tough to get everybody on the floor. It's tough to get enough shots to go around. And I think about that when I think about this pitching staff because you add to it. Look, you've got more guys, and we don't know if we're going to have fewer innings. You know, we still haven't seen the schedule. We don't know how many games they're going to play, and you've got to find a way. Go back to your analogy earlier. It's kind of like golf. you got to play. And if you're not playing, what are you doing to get those guys, keep them sharp, and keep them ready? Yeah, I got asked the other day what they're going to do in baseball this year as far as their scheduling. And I think that thing has bounced back and forth a bunch. I mean, they've gone from playing just straight-up regular schedule to, hey, we're going to play you know, 48 games in a conference and four games on the weekend. And now you're hearing they're possibly just going to play it straight up and have non-conference games. And that's the thing is, is you're really not going to know, and there's not going to be any answers probably on scheduling in baseball until at least January, and so that's what makes it kind of crazy this year. Yeah, and how much testing are you going to do, and are you going to use contact tracing to knock guys out? You know, you lose two weeks of a guy, and you, you're going to lose ten games. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. It's going to be a number of weekends where we sit here just wondering what's going to happen. All right, let's talk about uh, this weekend, the Georgia Bulldogs, the opponent – of course, you know, you said in the open about how that, you know, you would rather play Kentucky, Vanderbilt. I understand that. Hey, Nico Whitley, <laughs> Nico Whitley had a good time between the edges. <laughs> Didn't he, though? Hey, so looking at, at the Georgia rivalry, Georgia's won 11 of the last 12 in this series, and State won. We talked about State only playing Georgia three times in the last 25 years here in Startwell. And, of course, that was a win in 2010, 24-12 when State won. Went over to Georgia in 2011, won 20 uh, – excuse me, Georgia won 24-10. And then that Mississippi State played in Athens in 2017 – Georgia won 31-3, to so the last few times in Athens has not been kind to Mississippi State. Of course, the Bulldogs lost by just three in 2006, 27-24. Wasn't that the game where we punted from the 30-yard line? I'm pretty oh, sure it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you go back and you look, that 31-3 game felt a lot worse. In fact, that score doesn't fit my memory of the game. It wasn't as close as 31-3. to uh, That one fit in the mold of there were several times, you know, in the Dan Mullen era that a lot of people don't want to, to bring back up because they don't want to acknowledge that sometimes we had some of these where I just felt like it was just a complete waste of time. Where I mean, getting off the bus, you could tell, and everybody knew – some of the, uh, some of them didn't want to be there. Well, so, it's like you know, sometimes you go back at games and you talk about what was the turning point, the kickoff. Yeah, and kickoff was the turning point of that one. You know, the game I remember, nineteen eighty two, was a game in Starville. Georgia came to town. Herschel Walker was the running back. Herschel was playing with a broken hand that day. Still goes for 
220 yards, I think it was, in the game. And it just felt like never once was he tackled all the way to the ground. You could lock him up, but you weren't going to get that guy down. That was just phenomenal to watch because Herschel Walker, you talked about this when we were visiting with Buck Ballou, he was bigger than life, a lot like Bo Jackson. He was just, it was amazing as a kid to get to go see him play. I saw Desenzo Miller in a high school game one time against Nano William. He rushed five times, okay, five times, four touchdowns, and Nano William ran him out of bounds one time. He never hit the ground. That's kind of like Herschel Walker was back in those days. He was he was just kind of a man child. What did Vince Dooley, who complained about the flatness of Scott Field one time? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So it's it was a later game when they came over here, and I was reading. I think it must have been the game in 1988. Georgia won that one, 42-35. Tony Shell. Yep. Came off the bench. I think that game threw maybe five touchdown passes. Jerry Bolden, I think, was on that team. Had the big game passing. But before the game, Dooley, kind of poor mouth a little bit, was talking about Georgia's field has a crown on it, meaning it kind of slopes to the sidelines, whereas Mississippi State's field was perfectly flat. And still is. And, and, and most fields you go to, like in Auburn, Alabama, well, Alabama's flat now. But most of the places you go have a very pronounced crown in the field where the middle of the field is sometimes a foot, foot and a half taller than the sidelines. And he was talking about how their quarterbacks were just going to have a really tough time playing here. Real challenge to play on a flat field. I thought that was <laughs> kind of really working to come up with something there. You know, I talked to Wyatt about that last year. I don't know if you remember that. I talked to him in the pregame about it, about we were playing on a field that had a pronounced crown and coming from you know, playing on a flat field and going to somewhere that has a pronounced crown. And he was talking about the route that it hurts the worst is just a go route down the sideline about how you lace, lace something up. Sometimes, you know, you, you throw it a little bit further than you're used to, and the timing does mess you up just a little bit. So maybe Vince Dooley was, was on to something right there. So what did Vince's brother Bill, that was a coach here at Mississippi State at one time, I think Bill Dooley coached at Mississippi State. Of course, Derek Dooley is the son of Vince Dooley, and we all know about you know Derek Dooley at, at Tennessee. So anyway, hey, Mississippi State and uh, Georgia, 6.30 kickoff Saturday night over in Athens. One of my favorite places to go, Charlie. I love to go into Athens. Love going for sporting events in Athens. Great Bill college. Dooley graduated from Mississippi State. And you know where he went? He went to what was then known as Perkinston Junior College. Really? Yeah. Gulf right. Coast guy. Interesting. All right. So, State in Georgia, 630. We'll have the pregame show starting at 430 statewide on the sports network, radio network here in Starkville. So, Mississippi State in Georgia this week. And we'll be back on Sunday. Charlie and I will have our Sunday coffee, and hopefully we'll be having something positive to talk about after the dogs go visit the dogs over in Athens. Appreciate our fine sponsors, Country Pleasing Sausage, Cannon Ford of Starkville, and, of course, presented by Farm Bureau Go with the home team. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us. You've been listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.